one. All right, nerds, gather around. Here we go again. It's Swing Thoughts. You get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. Along with Coach Tim, I'm golf spiritual leader. That's right. That's what I call myself, Annie. <laughs> and he's like, what? I didn't know there was... No, no, it's... It's like you should never give yourself your own nickname. Uh, we're gonna we have a very fine guest here. We're gonna get to her in a second. But first, uh, Tim and I welcome you on behalf of TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. I have tested the new clubs this week for the first time. Uh, GSL is coming to you from uh, Palm Springs, California. You just were talking about shoveling snow, man. I forgot. I forgot you guys got snow and a lot of it. Really. Oh yeah, I had to. Uh, so I I shoveled two driveways today. Got my workout in. Had a boy, and I had to dig out and unthaw my niece's car. The um, it was mild here, and then it got really freaking cold. Yeah. So the door handle locked. So I had to trudge home, put the kettle on. <laughs> That's down right. The laneway yeah. with my kettle, pour it on the on the door handle and. Dig it out and I blow it up. So. I love that meme that's, that's like, tell me you're Canadian without telling me you're Canadian. I have to boil water to unlock my door. Um, I was going to tell you, uh, well, listen, we, we, have a, we have a great show for you. I uh, got to try the TaylorMade Clubs. We're, we're going to talk about that. There's lots of golf stuff on the show today. Of course, uh, Jonathan Wong Apparel, you look great in your, uh, what is that? Freedom, what? Zero, this is my zero, zero restriction. Uh pullover i think they're called very nice and i think well, it's blue um you know it's funny I, <clears throat> I often we talk about how golfers golfers will begin around in this state of hopefulness and, and canadians are like that every year canadians think this will be the year that winter passes us by and then you know in toronto we don't get a lot of snow or winter until like early january and all of a sudden like what it found us again with golfers. You know, we all start every round hopeful that maybe today will be the day that nothing bad happens. And then, of course, you know, the first hole, you smother hook it into a bunker. And there's your game again. Today, you know, I, I was saying to uh, my partner that, you know, over the course of 187 or eight shows, we've had 10 or 15 or so. You'd know better than I non-sort of golf-specific interviews that I think are among our most interesting, and I think today will be no exception. Our guest today is a, uh, an acclaimed science writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Scientific American, and the best American science writing among, any, among many other publications. She's the author of Origins, The Cult of Personality, and her latest book is called The Extended Mind. And uh, you're thinking, what does that have to do with golf? Well, please welcome to our program, Annie Murphy-Paul, and let's find out. Hello, Annie. Oh, thank you, Howard. Hi, nice to be here. I was wondering that too, but we'll figure it out. Well, let us tell you what, Coach Tim and I, let us find the way in. But first, uh, welcome. And, and Tim, thanks for uh, setting this up. I had a chance to uh, look through the book. But why don't you start? This, is, uh, this was your find. How does Annie's work relate to what we do and how we talk about golf? Well, we have talked on this show for a long time about the, the thinking part of golf is the way that a lot of people 
approach the game. They think about having to swing the correct way, swing the right model. If they do all the right things, which are largely, largely things they think about, golf will work out just fine and no bad things will happen. But it's our experience both as players, coach, GSL is now a coach himself, is that what we don't do is give enough credit to our body and to the wisdom in our body and its ability to do pretty incredible things, whether it's walk down a set of stairs or hit a golf ball. So when I uh, came across your book, I just dove right in and I just resonated big time in terms of our bodies have there's there's so much innate talent skill experience there that i thought this would be just could be a great conversation to have so that's kind of my general intro about about how this could apply to golf but maybe annie the place to start is why don't you just give us sort of this the 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 nuts and bolts of your main thesis of your book and perhaps how it may how it may relate to what i just talked about in terms of golf Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that intro, Tim. Um, So the extended mind is actually not my idea. It's an idea that I borrowed from philosophy, these two philosophers, Andy Clark and David Chalmers. And in 1998, they published an article called The Extended Mind. And the first line of that article really grabbed me. It said, where does the mind stop and the rest of the world begin? And, you know, I think we might imagine that has a pretty obvious answer, you know, that the mind stops at the skull. The mind is the brain, right? Um, But Clark and Chalmers were arguing that, no, actually, the mind extends beyond the head, beyond the skull, into the rest of our body, as you were mentioning, Tim, um, into our physical surroundings, into our relationships with other people, into our tools, including golf clubs, I assume. And, um and what they were arguing essentially was that it's wrong, it's it's mistaken to think that, th- that, to imagine that thinking only happens in the brain, that the brain is the sole locus of thinking. In fact, we think um, with all the stuff of the world, including our own bodies, and uh, in writing about the extended mind in my own book, I drew on a very well-developed area of research in psychology known as embodied cognition. And this is the idea that we think with our bodies, that to imagine that thinking only happens sort of above the neck is really um, is really mistaken, is really inaccurate. And there's so many ways in which the body, its movements, its sensations, its gestures really informs and extends and enhances our thinking. But we do have this notion in our culture, in our Western culture, that mind and body are separate and maybe even opposed, you know, but that's really um, a misconception that we want to get past, I think, if we want to perform at our best. Um uh, well, it's it's fascinating. I just read in the in the beginning of the in in the notes about the extended mind, and I went through some of the notes uh, last night, and, and it's all fascinating to us as golfers because in any time you're performing a complex, complicated series of movements, you wonder how people who perform at a high level, Olympic athletes doing complicated figure skating, or astronauts bringing a, a space shuttle back to Earth, there has to be a point where the thinking ends or the sort of cognitive thinking ends and some kind of environmental uh, 
or as you say, extra neural resource starts to to come into play because there are things that human beings do every day that have nothing to do with how you think about it. And as Tim said in the in the intro, a lot of golfers get into trouble because they think they're supposed to be thinking when in actual fact there are environmental and physical uh sort of intelligences in play. And right. Is that part right. of what you talk about? It is. And I think you're absolutely right, Howard, that um, we get into trouble sometimes when we think too much, you know, when we're too much in our conscious minds, because there's so much intelligence that resides in uh, those processes that are not conscious, that are embodied, that are um, that are influenced by the way our, we arrange our environment, you know, and to... Uh, really perform at our best, whether that's um, learning or working or playing golf. Um, it, it's it's smart to think in terms of thinking outside the brain. How can I arrange or move my body in a way that supports peak performance? How can I arrange my environment, my context, that's in a way that supports peak performance, rather than thinking that it's the brain that has to do it all. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, I found so fascinating about your work is that in many ways, what we're trying to do in our world is adapt to it. And our brains, basically their job, I'm not sure if you our basic its basic job is to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's always adapting to this environment. And to me, in terms of golf, it's, you know, we're, we've got basically the challenge ahead of us there's you know maybe some water here there's a there's a, a sand bunker here and a green and so our bodies kind of have to figure out what to do mm-hmm. and i think that the the danger that p- what most people get in is if i swing this way if i do this with my right elbow it'll cause this to happen and i think that that discounts the wisdom of the body to figure it out is that kind of what we're talking about around the extended mind yeah, I mean, one thing I write about in the book is the um, the process of optimization, um, making very well practiced movements and um, and activities um, automatic, so that we don't have to think in, about them consciously anymore. And this is what characterizes the behavior of an expert, you know. And it it actually can make it quite difficult for an expert to teach a novice because. Mm-hmm. Their um, what they do has become so well practiced and so embedded in in um, in their non conscious uh, mind that it's it's actually hard for them to explain exactly what they're doing. They leave out a lot of things because they're no longer really aware of what they're doing, and that's that's what you want as an expert. It just makes it difficult to uh, to teach a novice. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like you, my grade seven. <laughs> I was kidding. Well, true. Well, it, too, it's yeah. it's interesting you say that because some of the best coaches in sports history were not experts at the mm-hmm. actual activity you know like the Wayne Gretzky's of the world because to be an expert as you say you know it's hard to put yourself in the mind and and body and the experience of a Tiger Woods or a Wayne Gretzky or or Michael Jordan and yet and and so again the best coaches the best uh, mentors are often people that are experts at explaining the activity mm-hmm. I want to I want to talk a little bit because I know you know, muscle memory is a thing that comes into sports and people talk about it in certain, again, high level activities. And one of the first things you say is, you know, we, we tell our, you know, use your head. That's what we tell ourselves when facing a, tri- a tricky problem or difficult project. But mm-hmm. but doesn't 
the, well, first of all, I want you to, to comment on what your thoughts on muscle memory are. And then secondly, uh, because Tim and I take turns asking questions, but so I'm going to ask a second question. So talk about muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And, and doesn't the brain have to, in, in, as Tim's example, assess the environment and then give the body some instruction? Well, that's how we imagine it happens. And that's, um, you know, that kind of top down brain first um, process. But in fact, it's not really always how it does happen. And I think the fact that we imagine that the brain is always calling the shots uh, and always leading the way is, is a reflection of what you might call our neurocentric culture, you know, that really kind of idealizes and elevates the brain above everything else, um, including above the, the body's wisdom, because in fact, um, our emotions and our physical impulses, those travel on pathways in the, in the body that are faster than conscious thought. And if you think about it, the brain is sort of locked in this dark room. Of <laughs> Mine is it for sure. <laughs> it's so dark. It's so dark in there. Yeah. And it only knows what's going on in the outer world or in the body from, from these impulses that are being sent to the brain. And then from those, um, those inputs, it makes the brain make sense of, of what it's, what it thinks it's go is going on. And that's when the conscious processes get a kick in. But in fact, the body's been responding and acting and, um, you know, performing in the world before the brain really even has an idea of what's going on. So that's why if we're startled, for example, we might um, start running or our heart might start beating before we even have a sense of what's happened. You know, mm-hmm. all of that's happened first. And then the brain figures it out, figures it out and says, oh, I'm afraid, you know, and then it constructs a uh, feeling out of these ba- the basic building blocks of 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 bodily reaction. So really, it's the body that is leading the way rather than the brain. And so, talk a little bit, if you can, about my question to uh, golfers listening, saying, "Well, what about muscle memory? Are there because there's some a lot of debate about if, in fact, muscles have memories or are the memories stored in the brain and the signals sent to the muscles to fire the activity." Yeah. Well, the brain is central. I don't I don't want to um, suggest that that I'm I'm think I'm uh, arguing that that we can do any of our thinking without the brain. It's Mm -hmm. just a question of when does the brain come into the into the process and what is the role that it's playing? You know, is it calling all the shots? Is it is it the dictator that kind of tells everything and every part of the body uh, what to do? Or is it actually kind of lagging behind? Um, I think, you know, muscle memory is um, is a colloquial colloquial way of talking about how we have these motor programs that um, once they're overlearned, they're learned really, really well, they become automatic, and then the conscious mind is not involved anymore. Okay. And in a sense, that's what we want to let um, those non-conscious processes take over. Because when we, as we know, when we start overthinking, when we analyze ourselves too closely, when we get too self-conscious, that's when we choke and, and mess up. Um, we actually want to get out of our own way as much as possible. Yeah, I think a key thing what we're talking about here is is there we have a mind and we have a brain and the brain really everything happens in, happens in the brain but it's connected to this body it makes our hair grow it keeps our heart beating all that kind of good stuff. The mind is a different thing particularly with the prefrontal cortex. You know, that's that's where the thinking happens, the ego, all that good stuff. That's you know the thinking that that, that comes. So 
we are talking about the brain, but the mind is a different thing in terms of our thoughts. But I want to bring this, say, to a concrete example of what golfers often face. They're standing, say, in, in the fairway. They have a shot, and they've looked at, okay, it's, you know, it's 165 yards. The wind is doing this. I want to do this. So they've, they've gathered the data, and they've made a decision about the shot they're going to hit, the shape it's going to be, etc. But they get over the ball... And they just feel uncomfortable. What's happening there, Annie, in terms of what the brain is doing in that moment? In terms mm. of it's it's relating to what the information that we that we have, but there seems to be. But we've made this decision, but the but the body is kind of uncomfortable. Hmm. In a situation like that, Tim, do you think it's it's the body that is is correct, and it's the brain that's second guessing the body in a in an unfortunate way? I'm. Yeah, I, I think that what's golf, happening. So I, I I can't quite picture this scenario, but I want. Okay, to no, it's a good. It, it, it's really cool. I think this actually by going down this this road, it, it'll help explain it a little bit more. So, we've made a decision, our intellectual decision, what the shot we're going to. But let's say we get there, we're uncomfortable, and then we kind of notice, oh, I'm on a down. The ball's. I'm going downhill here, mm. and oh, there's actually more wind than I thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to me, it's the body that's taking in that information, but we have to listen to it. I see. Yes. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, one way of, of thinking about this is that we take in so much information as we go about our daily lives, as we walk through a, a golf course. Um, we're taking in so much information, so much stimuli that's way too much for our our conscious minds to process. Yet we are processing it on a non-conscious level. We're noticing patterns and regularities, you know, and, and we're making connections to experiences that we've had before. But all of that's going on on a non-conscious level. And the way that we get in touch with that knowledge, that wisdom that we actually do have, but we're not, you know, we're not consciously aware of is the body, you know, it's the body that's with its signals and its, um, its cues that sense you were mentioning that like, maybe this isn't the intellectual decision I made isn't quite right. That's the body kind of tapping us on the shoulder or tugging us on the sleeve saying, you know, we've got some information to share. Right. Like there's, so you, you have a what, feeling, there's a feeling that you have. Is that called intro? Is that called introception? Introception, yeah. And so, what's so important is that we learn to tune into that internal sense because so often our culture tells us push that aside, you know, Mm -hmm. lead with your brain, you know, intellectualize what you're doing, but. When we do that, we're we're ignoring this vast sort of trove of of experience and wisdom that we have. So we really want to tune into that interoceptive faculty, which just means a gut feeling. Well, a, yeah, I was going to say of what's going on inside. You your know, body. We, we we sometimes will mock you know our spidey sense, or or maybe mm-hmm. not, or or override our intuition. Like we've all mm-hmm. met people, we've all met people who we instantly like, like you, and people who we don't vibe with in media. And sometimes we override that feeling. In our mm-hmm, bodies, mm-hmm. but it turns out that that bo- our body has wisdom. You know, yeah. a, lo- a lot of the golfers who have gotten to the 19 minute of this interview are going, "This is great," 
but how does this impact my golf game? And and here's right. they, we all, they, we, that's just the obsessive nature of golfers. And I wanted to say, you know, there's so much in this book. Part of it is when you talk about two things, about exercise, regulating emotions, which I want to get to at some point. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. learning, but how do we learn? And can it be learned to use your extended mind and golfers say in, in, the, in the game of golf or in, in just in your everyday life? Yes, it can be learned. And and yet it's not something that we really focus on, obviously, in school or uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much it comes into golf instruction, but it really it belongs there. This this um, uh, cultivation of our ability to, to tune into those internal signals. You know, we are um, a very visually focused species and we there's often so many visual so much visual stimuli coming at us from the outer world that we forget that there's a whole inner world um, you know this flow of sensation and feeling that's there all the time and when we can bring a kind of open-minded curious non-judgmental attention this is like a mindfulness uh, practice to those internal sensations we realize oh my gosh there's a whole world in there there's a whole life a whole stream of life that's going on in there that is really uh helpful for me to tap into but it's so easy to ignore that and in the rush of all the you know stimulation around us on the outside yeah because in this world uh, particularly now, obviously, with the, uh, the Internet and these phones that we're just addicted mm-hmm. to, all this information constantly coming at us, which in our, our thinking mind. And one of the things I found very fascinating in your book was how movement helps us, mm-hmm. in fact, think better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had the examples of, I think, a philosophy prof who conducts his classes right. by walking around mm-hmm. the campus and talking right. or right. people doing exercises on a treadmill versus those who are sitting at a desk. And right. the people who are moving generally outperformed. And so I think that one of the things that we can relate to golf and what we're talking about, this extended mind, is, is hey, folks, tune into how you're moving. Right. Yes. To what's yes. actually happening in your body instead of, as you talked about this top-down thing that my my mind is going to tell my body what to do and i think we're disregarding all this amazing wisdom that could be coming from basically up if you will but, yes. but Annie, before you answer, you know, Annie and Tim, it's an it's an old concept. You know, there's a famous saying, and I, maybe you've heard it, Annie. It's a Roman saying, through walking, all things are solved. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a concept mm-hmm. that goes back yeah. thousands of years. The idea that awareness is curative and, and that movement, so, mm-hmm. walking, going on a walk and can solve. You're in a fight with somebody. You go on a walk, you come back, things seem different. And that's in your book. You talk about exercise regulating emotions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is something that we know and, and human beings have known for centuries. On the other hand, we also have this very pervasive notion that real thinking happens when you're still. You yes. know, if, you, if you need to do some real serious <laughs> thinking, you know, you sit down and you're still. But in fact, human beings evolve to think and move at the same time. All these um, Activities that formed our human intelligence, like foraging and um, hunting, were cognitively demanding and they were physically demanding at the same time. And that's what gave birth to our unique human intelligence. Yeah, because that connects to, to what we've often talked about on this show is 
golfers will shine a very tight spotlight on them on themselves like how am i doing am i swinging correctly today how am i scoring and what we've talked about is get outside of yourself mm-hmm. get into your environment feel the breeze on your face mm-hmm. hear the birds see the trees and then you start to experience the world in a different way and you feel more connected to it and right. then i think in that way then you're more om- almost in this harmony Mm-hmm. of your body with the environment around mm-hmm. how how we're going to propel this little white object to a target. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and and research suggests that move moving the body actually activates mental processes as well. Like you mentioned um people working on a tread walking on a treadmill while they were working and this particular study looked at radiologists who are examining slides looking for abnormalities mm-hmm. and they actually found more abnormalities, more of what they were looking for when they were moving than when they were still. And the reason for that is that when we're moving, that sends a signal to our our brains that like, okay, you're on the move, you're looking for things, you're being aware. Right. When you sit down or when you're still, it's like, okay, now we're at rest. You know, the brain says, now we're at rest. We don't really need to pay very much attention. So your visual acuity actually is heightened when you're moving. Uh, you know, there's been a lot written, and I'm sure you've had discussions about, you know, people's mental states the last 24 months. And mm-hmm. isn't it interesting that there's a lot of depression and a lot of people mm-hmm. suffering because they have been stuck inside there. Yeah. Wor- even though they're the whole world's on a, on a screen, but their their actual physical space mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. has been truncated. Yeah. So they're not interacting with other human beings. And, and there's a, a part of your uh, work. You talk about the importance of knowing what your teammates know, they're, the environment yeah. and the workplace you're in. And look at all of us have been stuck at home. We're no longer getting to interact with our tribes mates. Right. And it's really had an effect on us in, in internally. I think it's, it's really the cause of a lot of stress and strife. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Howard. And if the brain were all that mattered, then just all of us looking at each other in these little boxes would be fine, right? Yes. We'd be okay. But actually the, as, as whole humans, we thrive on moving our bodies on visiting new and stimulating places on seeing each other in person. Yes. And these are all the things we've been missing out on for the last two years. And I think it's really taken a toll. The, uh, yeah, the book is called, absolutely. um, I have it right here. It's about, it's called the extended mind. And, uh, you know, I just was reading some of the notes on it last night and it's infinitely interesting. The extended mind is, uh, Annie Murphy, Paul, and it's available where books are, uh, do people even go into bookstores anymore and actually touch physical books? It just seems so old fashioned. <laughs> hey, I went to Indigo last week to get a, a Valentine's Day card and it went on Friday. I didn't go on Sunday. I went on Friday. Yeah, well, I, I listen, I've been in this game a long time. I'm just trying to be a, like a 10 handicap boyfriend. I bought a grocery store flowers the day before because I knew they would be cheaper. Um, <laughs> Annie, I, you know, I hope you, I, you had a good time. We really love talking to you. Um, and you can sort of see how we thought your work would relate to people in golf because it's just one of those things, as Tim said, golfers are constantly overthinking, Mm -hmm. thinking that's the pathway to success when in actual fact, some of what they and we do can be taken care of by trusting. Is it really, in, in the end, is it really about trusting that your physical body has some intelligence? I like that, Howard. Yeah, trusting, resting in the body, not... 
again, not always letting the brain take the lead, which it really wants to do, you know, but kind of maybe holding back that intellectual faculty and letting letting the whole body um, take over. Yeah, I do think there's something to be said in terms of, you know, you, we could talk about intuition or guys like say gut instinct, that there's some wisdom there. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it's done us pretty well since you know I guess we were fish and we crawled up onto the beach, but <laughs> oh, in our really? culture, are we going to go back that far? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, I did. That's awesome. GSL, you're the GSL. Were you back there? Uh, sure, I was. Uh, listen, Annie, I hope you had a good time. We really enjoyed having you on I our did, show. What a uh, what a pleasure, and all the best to you in America. You know, we're all in this together. (laughs) Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Annie Murphy. Paul. The book is called The Extended Mind. And uh, you golfers, if you're looking for something to read before uh, it melts. uh, I was fascinated. I know you read her book, Timmy, but I uh, spent a bit of time last night going over some of the notes from the book. And I just found it. uh, I just found it fascinating, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 uh. As soon as I saw it, um, I got like the sample thing through Kindle. I went, that ain't enough. <laughs> I bought the book and I just, I, I just love it. And um, it's really interesting. I think that there's the things are starting to shift a little bit in terms of this awareness. Again, as Annie talked about, the wisdom of the body. You just hear it more and more when you're you're hearing from people, whether it's talking about you know mindfulness, uh, or you know just in terms of being a a, a good say business leader mm-hmm. is is that uh, is making decisions not from a place of of constantly you know how are we thinking through this is just sitting with it. And as you said, sometimes it's just it's as easy as Something's going on. I'm not quite sure, but I'll go for a walk or I'll sleep on it. And the next day or you get home from your walk and go, oh, there it is. I I worked with a a comedian who is now... It was a really funny woman named Judy Croon. And she was in in radio with us. And she's become... Like a lot of smart people, she leads workshops on the power of humor in, in daily life. But she's the one that I, uh, she goes for this walk every day. She says, like, whenever I'd call her, she'd be on her walk. And she's the one that turned me on to that quote, through walking, all things are solved. And uh, and it really is in, about movement. And in Annie's book, she does spend quite a bit of time talking about reg- regulating your emotions through activity. Mm-hmm. And and. I mean, golfers can relate because I think some golfers can relate because sometimes when you're on a cart, like I have been the two rounds I played here and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm fine with it, but I like to get off the cart and walk totally. it, when I can. So on, on my, in, I played two rounds. I want to talk about it in a second, but one of the rounds I was on a cart with somebody else and I had the opportunity to get off the cart and walk to my ball or go do something on my own in between shots. Whereas yesterday I was on a cart by myself. And so I was just whipping along and, and it changes the experience. You don't feel the earth with your feet as much. You don't, you're not, as you said, you're not as aware maybe of wind and, and conditions. And I just think that, you know, I, I look, I like walking on, you know, in Toronto when it feels like 40, I don't, but yeah. You know, there's something about feeling the earth with your body that does that does something different to the experience. Well, I, I, absolutely. One of the things that uh, you hear from um, coaches all the time, in particular, our good friend Paul Dooland, uh, is the heads up, chest up, or eyes up, tits up. up. 
Exactly. (laughs) Well, eyes on the horizon. Exactly. Well, one of the reasons why that's so beneficial is that when when we're feeling down or we're and or let's say things aren't going well, we start to think the tendency is to have our eyes down looking about, you know, three feet in front of us. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're up and you're looking you you're not thinking as much and again you're more apt to be in the environment and feel what's going on it's really interesting sometimes okay i remember um uh i don't know if you know do you know doug ball the photographer of course yeah a guy yeah, from okay. uh, devil's pulpit yeah well he and i were on a on a, a trip together with a bunch of guys to ireland and we played bally bunyan and the old course at Bally Bunyan. And, and then we went back and he was going to photograph it. So we're sort of scouting it. Mm-hmm. We're just walking around. And I noticed that because I was divorced from thinking about my golf game and if my swing was in the slot, this is before enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before transformation. <laughs> before anyways, you ascended. Exactly. Well, anyways, so I just remember like standing on these dunes and these fairways and looking around and just like, absorbing and and i was experiencing the golf course in a in a in a more vibrant way i was just more appreciative of of what i was seeing and experiencing and and that's when i started to really understand that if i get outside of myself in this chronic self-absorption about how i'm doing and am i doing it right and and if i get out there then i just feel better and i actually play better it's interesting you say that because on the the 16th hole of the Pete Dye Dunes course yesterday, I was playing with three other people and none of them I were. I hate you right now. Thank you. No, I'm just um, jealous. But so all, all, I was playing with three other players, not golfers. <laughs> they were all, but very avid players because I said to Rachel, if you're, if you're playing that golf course yesterday, it was very expensive and I won't play it again. But uh, I enjoyed it. And my point is, so there's, there's a, a lovely couple from Saskatchewan and a guy from Colorado. Nice. Just a great group. We had a lovely time. And on the 16th hole of this course, which is right up against this rock, this huge mountain, and, and it was just amazing. And, and this, the woman that we were playing with, nice golfer, probably a 15, 18 handicap, but got herself around the course. She had her worst hole literally of the round, like didn't play it very well. But because of the scenery, she said, and I love this. She goes, this is my favorite hole on the course. And, Fantastic. And, it, and I love that because it had yep. nothing to do with how she played it. It was just the most visually stunning backdrop. And, and I'm not much for taking pictures on the course, but it was one of those things where you're, you're, it's, it's so different than what we normally see in our golf and on, you know, Southern Ontario. It was mesmerizing, yeah. but I just, I, I took note of the fact that she enjoyed the hole for reasons other than how many sticks, you know, a stick and balls she hit down the fairway. And, and I thought, isn't that, a, what a great commentary on what's really going on in this environment. I would tell you that, you know, I've played a couple rounds here and I had some decent scores, but but mostly, I spend a, a good amount of time just looking around because it's, for me, from the prairies, I'm not used to seeing this. And so I've really taken in the environment and also try to have some gratitude around the fact that I'm able to do my show down here. I'm here yeah. for the, the month. It's great. But I just thought that was interesting that her enjoyment of the whole had more to do with how it looked and how it felt and not the score. Yeah, exactly. I think that that is... Um that's what this amazing game offers. 
is you can have incredible experiences with the environment, with the people you're with, mm-hmm. and, and and what's going on, rather than this, you know, blinkered focus on uh, can I make par here? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's it. it I mean, it, it. I've had two experiences down here with with lots of people that. You know they're they're avid players. They're here for a reason. The group I played with on uh, Sunday, actually, one of our listeners, Grant McDougall from New Brunswick, is a guy that was interested in decade. We had one conversation, and this is what I love about the game. He and I have had one conversation about decade. Hold on a second, sorry. No, there it is. We had one conversation, and from our conversation, he set me up with a guy that he met through golf, and this guy hosted me. You know, the meaning hosted. He took me out for a round, never met me. And I got in with his group on Sunday at his course down here. And it was him and, and two of his buddies. And and the first thing I learned from my cart mate is this guy is a retired airline captain. So I couldn't have been happier. Oh, exactly. I, it was unbelievable. I had 18 holes sitting next to a guy that flew Big Ten, as we say. And and I was just, I, at one point I said, are you tired of me asking you flying questions? He goes, no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> and And... But we had a great time. Now, these guys, because they know this fellow Grant, they knew I was a golfer, and they asked, and, they, and they've listened to our podcast. But the enjoyment of the round with these guys in particular had less to do with the scores we were shooting. In fact, I didn't even really notice if these, didn't really know if these guys took note of what I shot until the end, and they asked me what my number was, and I told them, they were like, oh, yeah, it looks like you're whatever, but... My point is, it's the it was enjoyable for other reasons other than just being a you know able to play golf in February for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you reminded me uh, a couple of years ago. A friend set me up to play with a couple of his buddies, and one of his buddies was the bass player in the Forgotten Rebels. Okay, I'm not, I'm exactly. not familiar. They're so forgotten. I've never heard of them. So they were they were, a, they were a, a Canadian punk band that uh, achieved some degree of notoriety okay. uh, with uh, punk fans, but um, but he also um, because the bass player for Teenage Head had a some kind of a criminal record. He when Teenage Head would tour in the states, he would he would play bass for them. The point nice. is. Just like you, I met this guy. We played at Burlington, and and by the end of the front nine, I said <laughs> something similar. Uh, are you are, are you tired of me asking uh, questions about playing bass? <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Hey, by the way, for you people that are forgotten Rebels fans, here's their big hit: High School Hookers. Hang on, here we go. Am I not allowed to play this? Oh, here we go. Here's a little forgotten Rebels. I can see your band covering this. <laughs> there we go. Look at you, O'Connor. Keep your hands on your money. Uh, anyhow, uh, so uh, yeah, I got a chance to play a couple rounds, um, and uh, you know, I, well, I don't know if I should tell you what I shot because people go, "Really, is that what you shot?" Well, but, let me ask you this. Yes. Let me ask you this. You <laughs> yes. hadn't been outside on green grass, right? Hitting a ball. So, how kind of how was it in terms of getting your swing back? I don't know, getting it back or accessing it or anything like that. 
Well, I had hit some balls uh, over the winter. I've worked a lot on my fitness. And, um, oh, that's right. With Bamalam, with Bamalam, Brooke Betty. In fact, I got a, I work out with Brooke uh, a couple hours from now. I hadn't hit a ton of balls, but I'd hit enough to stay somewhat current. Although, you know, my golf muscles are still kind of coming back. So I play on Sunday, haven't played around a golf in a couple of months. And it's interesting you asked that question because I wanted to have this conversation that what didn't go away is my ability or my, my cognizance, if you will, about the strategy of golf. So on Sunday with these guys, never seen the golf course before, and it's, I'll just tell you, it wasn't the most difficult sort of course I've played, but it was like 6,100 yards, and there's, there's you know, it's hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I shot 73, and I, nice. I made no three putts. I had no double That's- bogeys. I had two bogeys. I bogeyed the first hole. So my first hole back to golf, you know, I made a a five on a par four. I had two bogeys, one birdie and shot one over. Didn't sink anything really. I made, like I say, I only made one birdie. I was very conservative. You know, I sort of like, you know, I I put my money where my mouth is. There was a, I'll give you an example, 520 yard par five. And these guys all hit driver off the tee. Now I I get on the tee and I'm like, I'll probably just hit, by the way, the Taylor made clubs. I'm just going to pivot here for a second. They're unbelievable. I hit the, uh, so I hit three wood off the tee and they're like sort of wondering why I'm not hitting driver. And I say, because I can't hit this. I, I, all I could see is out of bounds, and a pretty narrow fairway, and the green way in the distance, and it's uphill. I got no chance to hit this in two. No way. Certainly not in February. I mean, maybe if it was downwind and the fairways were hard, maybe. So I get up, I hit my three one, then I hit a six iron, then I hit a wedge, and then I birdie the hole. So that was the only hole I birdied. My point is, what didn't go to sleep over the winter is my, I, you know, is, is my belief in you know playing as cons- you know playing aggressively conservative. So that hole, I just was my job was to not get a penalty by hitting an OB with my driver, which I'm still getting used to. Although I'm, I, I hit some drives yesterday that were pretty gross. I mean, like pretty good. But oh, um, as the kids say, gross. Oh yeah, they were, it was pretty good. <laughs> I that I'll tell you. I, I but my my point is, I've had two rounds. I shot seventy three. The first round, I shot seventy five yesterday. The difference in the round yesterday was a little bit more of a difficult course, very windy. But I had a three putt. I had a double bogey, and I had a penalty shot. Now I had four, you know, so I, you know, I was so four over on those one over. So I shoot 75 and it was a good score because I wasn't, you know, I got it. You know, Pete dies a tougher. It's a tough golf course. Oh, my gosh. And uh, there's water everywhere. But, you know, I basically was one under for the last 10 holes. So I sort of once I kind of got into the rhythm of the day, I, I played pretty nicely. But the point of all this is not to show you how good I am, but to show you how that thinking about golf, the strategy around golf never has to go away. I never, you know, yeah, I made a double bogey on a hole yesterday because I hit it in the water. I just was aimed. So I was aimed way further right than I thought I was. And it was Pete dying. There's not a lot of margin for errors on some of his par threes, but for the most part, I just kept it in play. I sort of dinked it around and just kind of conserved strokes. I didn't do anything special. I didn't make that many great shots and I didn't make a birdie until the very last hole of the round. Like I played with three people who's all had handicaps in the 15 to eight and they'd all had birdies. One guy chipped in, Denise chipped in, you know what I mean? And I was like, literally I was thinking on the last hole, I had like a 10 foot, but I'm like, 
I have not made a birdie yet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the only, I got I'm a scratch. Where's my turn? Where's my, my turn? I, I did. I was literally thinking, I, I hope I make this because I'm the only one that hasn't made a birdie in this group. And then I was lucky enough for it to go in. The takeaway for me though, is that the things I've been working on, the things that we talk about, the strategy around golf, it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, mid-season form. My brain was in mid-season form. My ideas around, right. you know, not too chipping and not, you know, being very conservative. I had a bunker shot yesterday, a longer one, and rather than try and fire it at the pin, which was sitting up on a sort of a mound in the middle of the green, I fired away from it, just thinking, okay, I'll take the 10-footer here, and I'm not going to try and go for this, because if it comes down this hill, I'm going to go off the green. Yeah. So those kind of things are 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 a constant in my game. You know, yeah, I could have hit it a little bit better, but for the most part, I just was good at conserving mistakes. Yeah, and what I love about it, great stuff. I'm glad you're having fun, man. That's great. And I love the fact you can come out of the snow, you know, plates of rust falling off and <laughs> still, right. still get the ball around. But yeah. I think it underscores something we've been talking about in this year of decade. Um, is Thank you. Is that when you make good decisions, it takes the pressure off your ball hitting, as you say. Yeah. Um, and I think, and to connect to our conversation with uh, Annie, when you make good decisions and you connect that to how you're feeling in your body, you tend to make pretty good shots. Because your body's in a place of, 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 it's comfortable. It makes sense. You could, you just just things feel better. The, it's kind of like all the little, uh, you know, keys mesh together more nicely mm-hmm. than when you're trying to say, you know, force some shot in there or something that's goes against your normal shot pattern. And you think, oh, yeah, I need to I need to, you know, fade this into this back right pin or something. Just, you just hit your shot and you just feel more comfortable. So. I I love how that all just flows together really nicely. It it was also an opportunity because the the group I played with on Sunday, those were more of sort of, I would say, in the 10 to 15 handicap category. You know, uh, those those are the guys that shoot in the low to mid 80s, high 80s. But the guys I played was interesting. So they were interesting to me to watch how they strategize golf. But the group I was in yesterday, that was more of your classic golfers. We get to the 14th or 15th hole, and it's a 130-yard par 3. Pete Dye course, so there's water usually on the par 3s. And I get up there because I've already hit one ball in the water on a par 3 in the front nine. And and part of it was, you know, I, I don't know that I had enough clubs. So what I, what I do when I come back to the game in the spring is... I clubbed up. So I have 130 yards to a sort of frontish pin. That's around my pitching wedge, but I take a nine iron. And of the four of us in the group, I'm the only one that hits the green. Um, the other two gentlemen hit six balls in the water between the two of them. <laughs> and because the one guy just wouldn't give up. And I, I said, hey, have fun. Fill your boots. We're having a nice exactly. time. Go crazy. Uh, the, the, the young woman we played with, young, she's in her, I don't know, she's probably in her early 40s. But she sort of hit it to the right. But what I can tell you is I had, those guys were not hitting enough club. It's a simple thing, but if they had hit enough club, because they all missed it just short. Yep. 
and and I sort of said, well, you can't miss it. <laughs> well, you can, the only place you can't miss it is there's water all the way to the hole. So yeah. And I don't know what they hit, but I guarantee you it was one club less than they should have. So that's a strategy mistake. And they and they think of it as a golf swing mistake. It's like Fawcett said. Exactly. You know, a lot of people will have a bad putting round and go practice their stroke. Mm-hmm. Thinking there's something wrong with the way they're moving the putt or the putter. When in reality, it's usually... Um, it's the it's the weight of your putts. It's not your strokes mostly fine. You know, as my buddy Henrik says, if you've got a 20 foot putt, you're not likely to aim five feet right or five feet left, but you are going to miss it long and short more often than not. So those are all things that it's been interesting for me to see people, you know, in that handicap sort of range and the mistakes they make, they think are physical, but actually they're all sort of strategic and mental. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our uh, our friend, we haven't had on, had him on for a while, but Richard Zokel, he talked about this kind of two key elements to to golf: assessment and execution. So, but if you don't get the assessment part right or yeah. mostly right, the execution part in many ways doesn't matter. You know, like I think we've all been there. You know, we've absolutely say flushed a five iron. Yeah. Like, whoa! I couldn't hit that any better, and it soars over the green. Well, I guess you didn't make a very good assessment. No, that's really, really key. What you just said there, I'd forgotten. Yeah, assessment and execution. And a lot of golfers think it's their inability to execute when in actual fact it was the, you know, there's a strategy breakdown. Um, hey, before we finish. To me, that takes it back to just, just, just no, to tie, that, tie it up in a bow here, if you will as I want to do, um, it comes back to what you were saying. And, and this thing that we explored a lot of last year is it's around making good decisions, yeah. making them from a place of emotional neutrality, you know, instead of what are the guys going to think if I hit a hybrid off this tee rather than a driver yeah. or, you know, or, or, you know, what, what does, what's the right thing to do here is it's more, it's more of a thing. What's going to help me make a good score how am I going to feel comfortable? What's going to fit in here rather than, than as Annie was talking about this, all this thinking that we tend to do. I couldn't agree with you more. There really is, especially around men and the culture of golf. There is this sort of somewhat, I don't know, ordained correct way to do things. And, and in actual fact, there, there's a, a range of physical, you know, like trying to put your, trying to make a golf swing against the, you know, the better players or the tour players, like most of us can't make that motion consistently. So whatever Mm -hmm. motion you have, you know, for better or worse, it's not what's holding most of us back. It's what you just said. It's our assessment is where we break down. And our execution is based, our bad execution, I'll finish this by saying, to your point, bad execution is based on poor assessment. Exactly. And I think that you can, you can draw, and that's what I love about golf is that so much as you can draw this out to the rest of your life, you look at people who've done things, say, a little bit differently. Yes. They weren't locked into a way of doing things or, or it might be weird or what will people judge? No, they, they do things their way and they break out of the pack. Yes. You know, you know Steve Jobs, you know, People were designing phones, focus groups, all that kind of stuff. We went, no, no, no. We're going to do it this, this. We're going to do it this way. And you just see it, you know, like Don Cherry. I don't know. He, um, 
he broke the mold in terms of, you know, the typical self-deprecating Canadian who kind of humble and whatnot. No, he was loud and what he was he was himself. Yeah. He didn't care what people would think. He was authentic. You know, he was his authentic self. And I think that's a, a lot of kind of what um and you can extend that from golf to the all parts of the rest of your life. Who's the real you in there rather than the the, the, the being careful? Does it line up with what everyone else is doing? And, and God forbid, what will people think of Yeah, me? you're going to love this. I read that this is a quote from a <laughs> I don't want to get into it now, but I, I've, I've, I've met somebody down here that is. Let me just put it this way. You'll love this. And he, he's like sheds. He's just a bit off the grid. And I'll, um, Shed, and, you mean? And Mark, yeah. He's this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy that I've met and I'm going to go see, he's a little bit off the grid. And this is what I love. And he's got a quote. I won't tell you his name now because maybe in subsequent shows we'll have more. But he's got a quote. He says, different isn't always better, but better is always different. Wow, that's awesome. Can you say that one more time, please? Different isn't always better, but better is always different. And you can... Love it, that. And... and whether That's we're meme material. Well, yeah, and whether you're talking about Fawcett, who decide, you know, or or Zokel with his headphones, or Mo Norman, or Don Cherry, or Steve Jobs. You know, I was reminded. You know, everyone's excited, gets excited about the Super Bowl commercials, right? And we yeah. think, you know, most of us can't remember how long has this Super Bowl commercial been a thing. But you know, the guy that that did the very first sort of extravagant, expensive Super Bowl commercial? Steve Jobs, 1984. Wow. 1984, Steve Jobs did that two-minute, or the Apple did a two-minute 1984 sort of takeoff from the, the book. And that started this whole, well, so up until then, it, Super Bowl commercials were just like any other commercials. The point being is that better is always comes from different. Mm-hmm. You know, and... um. And in our case, maybe, you know, in my case last summer, better came from a different way of thinking about golf. And don't you know, I I think sometimes and I know you and I talk off the air about our golf swings. I love, you know, I've, I've said this before. We could have done 187 shows about the golf swing and I would have loved it. I love dicking around with it. I, I, I experiment. I fool around the range. I try different things. I just don't do that when I'm playing anymore. I used to. Mm-hmm. I used to be so, I don't know. I got so frustrated because I couldn't execute this thing I was trying to do that seemed to work on the range. Um, did you see the, hear that quote from Hank Haney this week? No. This, this will be such a, a comfort to most golfers. I, it was to me. Haney was on uh, the podcast with uh, Drew Stoltz and uh, and Colt Nose. I love this podcast. What what's the podcast called? You know what? I, I it's great. They they do a show called Gravy and the Sleaze on PGA Tour Radio, but I, I don't know oh, the yeah. name of their podcast. But Haney was on there, and he said, of all the players he's ever worked with, the guy that was the worst at taking his game from the range to the course was Tiger Fucking Woods. And I was like, what? <laughs> And and they were and those guys were like what? And he said, "Yeah, I'm going to tell you guys. I've never seen anyone flush it on the range better than Tiger." And he would go to the course, and he was sort of it would be a version of that, but it wouldn't wouldn't be his range game. Wow! And and that was why he was such a good player because Tiger recognized that he couldn't take that flushing range game to the course, but he could take a version of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, I he, thought, and he made such good decisions. He, like because Fawcett he made, said. yeah, he made good decisions. 
Yeah, like Fawcett, one of the things that uh, people may not know, and we learned that in that initial seminar that we went to a Fawcett's four years or so ago. Yeah, 2017. That he analyzed every shot that Tiger took over nine years on the PGA Tour. Yeah. And the key takeaway was that Tiger never or very rarely ever hit the ball to a place would put him in trouble. He would just, he just course managed the place to death. Yep. So he, he wouldn't shoot lots of 62s and 62 occasionally, but he'd 67 and 68 you to death yeah. because he just made so many good decisions. So I think where we're connecting to is, is that, you know, yeah, you could, that flush shot that just is dead at the target to that little, you know, little three foot area at the front of the green, but no tiger would hit the shot that would be the full given the the largest margin for error it's going to find terra firma and leave him with an an easy you know an easy birdie putt you know tiger um there's so many times i remember watching him where you know he'd be struggling and you'd think well you know surely he's going to have a high number today but he would just and and then the announcers always put it down to like oh he's got such fierce determination etc tiger just had a plan uh, uh, to never to to how do I put this? Tiger wanted to conserve every stroke he could. Everywhere on the golf course, no matter what the situation, Tiger looked for the way to make the lowest po- score from where he was. And that's why so many of those rounds, it looked like he was going to shoot a million. He'd shoot 71 or 72 or have a, 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 a two under for the last four holes finish. to Because to con- it, it's not that he just would never give up. Is that Tiger stood for the lowest scores he could shoot on any given day. Listen, at the, mm-hmm. at the end of the, I think I put it, I made a double on the eighth hole yesterday, and that put me four over for the round. And it's a par, it was par 72, but it's 37-35. So I was actually one under on the back nine. I birdied that last hole. But I'm four over after eight. And I know, you know, yeah, it's a fun round, but I'm also aware of what I am. And I double bogeyed the eighth hole. And I stood on the ninth hole, which is a par five, and, you know, sort of a shortish par five, but I thought to myself, okay, let's see how you can do from here to the end of the round. Cause I was a bit scrappy and I wasn't quite in my rhythm. I said, you know, let's just go back to the basics of what we do, which is let's find some fairways. Let's find some greens and see how that, how that manifests itself. Not that I wasn't trying to do that before, but I sort of reconfigured. Okay. My goal now is to conserve as many strokes as I can. I didn't know what I was going to shoot. I'm four over for the round. Not a great, you know, I'm have, I basically bogeyed half the holes and and just that mindset of conserving stroke, not trying to, I need seven birdies. I just did what I normally do, which is don't make a lot of mistakes, made no more bogeys, made no more doubles, only made one birdie. It's not like I went on a birdie run. I just kind of went on a run of fairly boring golf, you know, but that's kind of how most golf that's most low scores are from very sort of you know, kind of not that flashy a golf. I didn't hit any. I'm hit a couple of good shots, but not crazy good. You know. Yeah. Well, we've we've said it often on this on this podcast is that you want to lower your scores is not from all the birdies you make. That's it's right. From getting rid of all the others and the dumb bogeys you make. Um, I wanted to give you a chance because I know you brought this up in the pre-show meeting about, and I didn't. I read about it, but I didn't see much of it. The fans at the phoenix uh tournament I, I know they went crazy a couple guys got holes in one what, what was your takeaway from all of that well um initially when that i forget 
who the fellow was who's made the uh the the ace on 16 there and the fans went nuts i thought that was so awesome like and you see this beer you know the 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 spray of beer going wild and everyone and then right then uh harry higgs the next day the shirt <laughs> up and, that's and, right you know uh oh my god that was just so awesome and then uh justin thomas chips in and then i saw like these the beer cans going flying i'm thinking like Holy cow. So yeah. if you get one of those in the head, I know they're aluminum. <laughs> no, I know. If there's 12 ounces of beer in that, that, that becomes a projectile. Sure. So, you know, I, I love the fact that it's this party central and it's so ungolf in terms of people going ape shit and having fun and going crazy and the shirts and all that stuff. But it was interesting as the week went on, people started to say, yeah, that was great, but. Maybe we got to rein this in just a little bit. So I don't know. Maybe you just give people beer in plastic cups or something. But I saw I I saw a little bit of debate on both sides of it. And again, not not having watched any of it, I'm not like I don't mind that 16th hole. I I think it's it's become, you know, a lot of guys on Twitter, golf Twitter, were talking about every tournament should have a hole like that. And and maybe it should. I mean, if you're going to if golf's like any other sport, you know, uh, baseball, football, they, they've all been struggling to attract a younger crowd that basketball has that soccer is getting. Yeah. And, you know, with golf now under, you know, attack from uh, other rival leagues, the super golf league, some interesting stuff there reading. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Tim, Phil Mickelson recently, you know, and, and there's a book coming out where Phil's saying, you know, I'm only, I'm not really going to go there. I'm just saying these things to gain leverage. There's a lot of stuff going on in golf, but we oh, have yeah. a problem. You and I are 127 years old between us. <laughs> so, of course, we might have an eye toward a more traditional feel to it. But I think your point's a good one. As long as maybe people shouldn't be throwing, you know, things that can hurt other people. But the idea of them celebrating, I thought was, I guess, cool. You know, I don't know if it should be every amazing. I, I I loved it. I love the fact that golf. You know, people have that feel that they can do that. Yeah. I, I I think that's one of the things that interesting. One of the conversations that people uh, who lead golf organizations were saying okay you know the silver lining of covid is that it boosted golf in terms yes. of participation yeah. so how do we hang on to these people and i think part of it is how about a very novel concept that golf could be fun yeah <laughs> and you can enjoy yourself um and let's not be so concerned about doing things the right way and making sure that certain things happen because that's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always tuck my shirt in. I have my hat going forward. Yeah. I, that's always kind of been the golf uniform, but to me, but if somebody wants to have their shirt out, fine. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause two of the, the, the other two men in my group yesterday, <clears throat> both had their shirt untucked. One of the guys had his hat on backwards the entire round. I just, I'm like you, I, you know, my golf uniform is always shirt tucked in, hat forward, but I, you know, I didn't care. I mean, it didn't bother me. Uh, I didn't think it was disrespectful. And the fact that we're all playing, you know, 
the, for the problem with the course yesterday is it's very expensive. Uh, I've found yeah. a few cheaper places to play. <clears throat> but one thing about a golf course like that, you know the people that you're going to play with are golfers because no one's going to spend that kind yeah. of money for funsies. You know what I mean? Um, that being said, they were very respectful of the game. One, you know, one of the things about meeting people, you know, for the first time. And again, I knew that I was going to meet people that were golfers because no one's going to spend that money. But the, but the, the pace of play was great. Everyone knew where to go. You know, we all speak the same golf language. Can I get the pin? You know, great shot. All that stuff is there within 30 seconds of meeting these people. I knew we'd be fine because we're just golfers. You know, yeah, as soon as, I mean, it's a weird experience, you know, because as soon as you or I take a swing, they know it's not like a regular, I'm going to sound like a dick, but you know what I mean? Like I take a swing and it, it, they know it's something different because they don't swing a club like I do. But I, I'm also the most, you know, I try and be generous and I try and forget, you know, where, you know, forget about my game. How are you playing? And, and I just, you know, I just enjoy the experience. Rachel asked me, she goes, are you ever nervous or is there any trepidation when you go to the first team? You, you know, you're, you know, you're going to meet a, a new bunch of people. I said, not really, because wherever you go in the world, they're just other golfers. So I guess my point is, as long as you do that, as long as you do the game of golf etiquette wise and you, you know where to go, I don't care how you're dressed, really. You know, maybe exactly. not. As- I love the way, Yeah, I love the way you brought that back, because it's all about sharing in this love of the game. Yeah, exactly. You know, and if you're not, you know, if you're not, you know, really, you know, jingling change while someone's trying to make a three footer. Yeah. Or you got your <laughs> or you got your uh, your speaker in your cart, you know, and suddenly it's Def Leppard. And, you know, some guy was a fan of them in the 80s. And they yeah. crank this up <laughs> yeah. while you're trying to hit a drive. Like, I don't want to come to the first tee and, and see you dressed in a sombrero and overalls with no shirt on. I mean, I, you know, that would be OK. Excuse me, Jorge. And say, uh, by the way, we should have a talk. I don't know if we're, we're kind of running out of time, but someday we should talk about music on the golf course because it came up yesterday. Oh, at yeah. some point, in the back nine, uh, one of the people said, oh, I normally play music, but my speakers uh, needs to be charged. And, and she said to me, what about you? I said, you know, again, I was talking about being sort of an older guy and it was not, not part of my world. And I said, the problem is at my course, they always, guys always kid me. They go, oh, Howard doesn't like music. I'm like, no, Howard just doesn't like your music. How about that? <laughs> you know, I, I don't, because of what you just said, I don't want to hear Def Leppard and your 80s hair band playlist while I'm trying to sink a four footer. I, you know, soft music playing the background in your cart away from me. Part of it, so, Tim, so a little, is a little Steely Dan. Steely Dan is fine, but I, I, my problem is my, something with some flow. My brain starts to concentrate on the song. Oh, and and I start. So if I'm over the ball, and I just basically have a rule with my buddies: if they want to play music, just don't be near me when I'm hitting. And if you are, turn it down because I can't. I start to my mind wanders to that over the ball, which may or not, you know, I just don't you know, like that sensation. That's interesting. And so it fits into the sort of the overall theme that we've just sort of happened into. I remember Ben Kern, uh, director of golf at the Nash for years and then Devil's Pulpit. He had a pretty good guideline. And he said that your conversation should never be heard outside of your fairway. And, and I think it's the same thing with music. 
Yeah. Just keep it to a thing. So it's just just keep it to a thing where like you can enjoy it and, and just be cognizant of other people. That's what I think the golf etiquette is about. That's why in the day, if you were tending the flag, no one does that anymore. But when you would tend the flag, a.k.a. hold it, if it was windy, you'd hang on to the flag to That's stop right. it from flapping around. Yep. That's why you don't stand on a tee directly on a target line behind someone because you're going to be in the peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. Your whole idea is to help other people have fun and not, you know, impose yourself on other people. And that creates fun. So, to me, that's what golf is largely about. So, if we can sort of have this happy medium of, you know, the way you dress and all that stuff and what you then that's great. But it's not a game where, in my experience, where, where we're yelling and screaming while someone's hitting a ball. No, or it's a screaming guitar solo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, you made me think of something. I don't know if I've ever told you a story. I'll tell you very quickly. My father, very stoic man. You know, not a you know not a super you know wasn't a super chuckle fest with Lou Glassman, and and he was very he was very strict about me be learning the etiquette of the game before he would let me play it. I caddied for my dad and his friends a few times and I showed me where to stand, where to put the clubs on the T side of the green so that, you know, it yeah. makes sense. So when you're finished putting, you're not going back 20 yards toward the, the fairway. You're, you're picking up your clubs on your way to the next hole. All the things that keep the flow of the game, like yeah. my group yesterday, all of them understood that they knew where to drive. They knew where to go. And, and that's what, so a guy at my level can play with, you know, you can be you can play with anyone because if they know that stuff so one day i'm again my dad didn't swear very much either certainly not in front of me i might have been 12 or 13 and i'm holding the flag while my dad's putting and and he's taking a little extra time it's along with like a 35 footer and i start to just (laughs) i don't know why i start to distractedly i get bored i start going waka 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 with the flag just kind of like 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 holding it and, and pulling it back and forth and it's going waka, 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 like this and I'm like, like, a oh, kid. like a kid right and my dad finally gets frustrated he goes what the fuck are you doing and, and he said it in such a way I'm, we were both surprised <laughs> so I was so surprised he said it out loud and he was surprised he said it out loud and I'm like and that was like the first time I'd ever heard my dad say the F word it was wild Oh, that's great. You know, just one point I want to make before I say goodbye. Yeah. Um, resort golf or travel golf, if you will, is is wonderful. I used, When I was writing about golf in the 90s and I would be, you know, I would I'd be going trips everywhere. I went to, you know, La Casa, I played golf in France, Florida. I'd go on these places and often I'd take Sandy. And, of course, I'd be paired up with people all the time. And it was like really like 99.5% of the time you had a great time. These were golfers. They, they, it was all about just having a good time together, enjoying the game of golf. Like you said, they know the etiquette. They know the things to do in terms of keeping pace. You know, you keep, you, you write your score down on the next tee, et cetera. But it was almost like universal that you met nice people. Mm-hmm. It was really rare that you'd meet like a real dickwad no I, I i totally agree and i said that to rachel too i've played golf you know maybe not all over the world but in a lot of different countries certainly all over the states and, and in europe i've been to scotland and, and it's just this 
It's a language that we all have in common. Uh, before we finish, Rudra, one of our uh, regular fans, Rudra Rishi Maharaj, uh, sent me a note. How are the new clubs in real course play? Going to a simulator tonight to try them out. He's got, uh, I know he got, I'm not sure what his irons are, but he ordered the stealth driver. Oh, sweet. And, um, and I got to use it for the first time. I've, I've hit balls a couple times. There's a range about 15 minutes from the house here. And, you know, I go there. It's, it's so last week. It was so I'm sorry, everybody. It was so hot last week. It was ridiculous. And um, I will tell you, I hit a drive yesterday. I've hit a couple with the new stealth that were they were. It's just they're just great. Um, a 62-year-old man should not hit it that far? Uh, one one in particular. was I, When I got to the ball, because I, I, the carts yesterday have the super GPS screens, and I was like, is this right? Because it said my drive was like 285. And I was like, what? Because it didn't feel... I mean, I made a good swing, and I thought I hit it well, but I didn't think I hit it that well. And that's what I would say. I'm not telling you that these clubs can give you a... Mir- they're not miracle you know, workers. They're just... But I will say this. There were a couple drives I've had that went further then I felt they deserved to. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they weren't way downhill, downwind. It was just, I'd hit it solid, and I got up, and I was a little bit like, hmm, this is a bit further than I thought it was going to end up. So I will just say that. And the irons are amazing. The irons are very similar to the 790s that I've had the last couple of years that you have. They look a little different, and, um, but I love the way I love the seven. And I'll just say this. If you love TaylorMade, you're going to love these clubs. You know, if you're already using them, you're going to, it's more of the same and better. So, and as far as the carbon face of the driver, it sounds great. It feels cool. And, um, like I said, I, uh, I can't tell you much about my misses because I've, I've had a bunch of them, but, uh, I certainly hit a couple that were pretty cool. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm having a good time uh, with my new P790s and my Stealth Driver at uh, the Office Golf in the south of Guelph. They've got two really nice simulators mm-hmm. um, there. And, and maybe uh, we can talk about how you can learn from using these launch monitors and all that. Because it's been amazing for me. Um, I've come to such a better understanding of club face angle and swing path and the difference that makes in shot shape and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been really fun because uh, to be able to spend some more time and knowing what those, those numbers really mean and how that translates into feel and and all that kind of thing. But um, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, I love the, I I love the, I love the, it's a certain age, right? No, no, no. The the two two of us have been doing this show. It's like 73 minutes. Now we're both tired. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? You just been talking. It's not like, you know, it's not like you did weightlifting. Or I know, but there's so much thinking. There's so much thinking involved, and it's so tiring. No, uh, I love the sound yes. of the of the driver, and you know, distance yardage. You don't know. I, I think launch monitor numbers in terms of carry and roll. I don't think you can read a ton into that. But I'm hitting it. I'm hitting it pretty solid. Yeah. And but there's something I just there's an auditory thing that's going on that I yeah love. I like it I, I, and I'm listen I'm the same I guess some of my numbers I, I was at Casey's place a couple times at Burl Oak Indoor 
And and some of my numbers indoors are just ridiculous. And not that I don't believe them, but, you know, they're... And I, I would say that to Casey. I go, is that real? But remember, you're hitting it off a perfect lie. You're exactly. sw- I, I think my swing no speed... No wind. No, nothing. No, I'll, actually, back to our, our guest today. No external information. That's right. And, not, and with nothing on the line, I think I swing five miles an hour faster um, or some version of faster because there's no consequence to it other than that screen that's 10 feet away from me. I will say yeah. this. I, I took a, a couple hours of one of our pros times, Dave Lambert from uh, Glen Karen. And I booked, oh, yeah. a, I booked a, um, a track man session because, and I went through my bag outdoors. I spent a couple hours going through every club and writing down average distances and max distances. And I and that launch monitor really helped me out of doors because and and I'll just say this the numbers were more realistic because there is there a go. visual consequence even though you're on the range you're trying to move the ball through the air and I think that alone does something to my speed again that being said I did hit it a couple of times that were they it turned out longer than I thought it was going to be but you make the point and I I said it too like there's an auditory uh, satisfaction to the stealth that is is definitely something that I think people should experience. Thanks to uh, Annie uh, Murphy Paul. Thanks to you for uh, setting that up. That was just amazing. Thanks to TaylorMade Golf. Thanks to Jonathan Wong Apparel. Tim O'Connor O'ConnorGolf.ca. Coach Tim available for all your uh, coaching needs, parties, bar mitzvahs, weddings. And you're available for decade coaching. Oh, that's right. I've got a very small group that I've put together of uh, decade uh, devotees, but I'm happy to have a conversation. Listen, I've had lots of uh, chats with people, not that they've procured my, you know, services, but just talking about decade as a as a con- possible concept for you. Anyway, kids. Uh, for the Humble and Fred Show listeners, we're off on Monday, February 21st, because we respect the family too much to work on Family Day. <laughs> and Tim and I will be back in a couple of weeks. Competition in other places.